Hey, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we help you get better at doing the hard things that make life exciting. Quick apology first up, just for the release schedule over the last sort of six weeks, couple of months, there's been a lot of stuff going on. I think we're all coming back onto an even keel now, so hopefully, fingers crossed, our regular schedule of programming resumes in terms of an interview episode on a Tuesday and a little strategy episode on a Friday. So apologies for that and thanks for bearing with us. Today got an absolute scorcher for you. I'm chatting with Laura Langman who is the captain of the New Zealand Silver Fern. So for those of you not familiar, that's the New Zealand netball team who have just recently won the Netball World Cup over in England, beating Australia 52-51. That's the first time that they've won it since 2003, so it's all pretty exciting. Thank you to AJ, my mate AJ, for setting up this chat. Much appreciated, buddy. But Laura and I today talked through some really interesting topics. We we talked through the mindset of top world-class class athlete. And I think you'll be interested to find it's more about stripping things back than adding a whole lot of stuff on top. We're talking about figuring out who you are. We're talking about figuring out your values and what's non-negotiable to you. Talk about the importance of family, Laura's love of the Waikato and how tough it was to tell her parents when she was uh, when she was moving away. And just talking about the little things that all add up to make the whole and help you deal with the uncomfortable. Really hope you enjoy the chat today. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with Laura and myself. Laura Langman, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. No worries. Thanks for the invite. And probably before we get started, just should say thank you, AJ, for setting up this conversation. He was on the phone to me the, last night, actually, when I, when I said that I was talking to you today, saying, oh, make sure you ask you these questions. I like to just start things off with a little bit of background about yourself, about where you were born, where you grew up. And I think like a lot of my Kiwi listeners will probably already know a little bit about you. We've got some listeners from outside of New Zealand, some listeners in the States who may not have heard of Laura Langman before. So Laura, where were you born? Where did you grow up? So I was born in Hamilton in Waikato, New Zealand, and I grew up in a small rural settlement called Tipahu, and it, that's kind of based at the, well, it's located at the base of Mount Porongia. Mum and dad are still there. Grew up on a dairy farm, so I'll never forget how to milk a cow, that's for sure. Um, yeah, we, it was a family-run farm, so pretty much it was all hands on deck. I, looking back, I think I was really fortunate with growing up on a farm. When I kind of moved to the city for my schooling, the big smoke of Hamilton, the small things like learning how to drive wasn't an issue or wasn't such a big deal for me because I already knew how to do it, having grown up on a farm. It definitely, I had to earn some decent pocket money, that's for sure. But yeah, that's pretty much the background. I went to the local primary school, Te Pahu Primary, for up to Form 1 it was back in those days. Uh, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what year that is. And then I went to Barclay Normal Middle School 
in Hamilton for my Form 2 year. And that really provided me with opportunities to play as much sport as I potentially could. But the side to that was I'd have to go live with my nana. And at the time, I pretty much, I'm pretty sure I cried myself to sleep for the whole first year living with nana. And I remember thinking it was worse than being at boarding school because I always got that boarding school threat from mum and dad growing up. Why did you feel so bad about it at the time? I was a real homebody. I often got homesick. I was the kid who would go over to friends to play on the weekend, but I'd always go home at night. So I was a real homebody, and I loved the farm, and I loved everything that that was involved on the daily at the farm. So moving to Nana's, it was really difficult for me, really difficult, and pretty much since then, I haven't been home. So so maybe the joke's on mum and dad now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they forced you out. I know that getting home pretty frequently is is really important for you AJ was actually telling me that your favorite place to run is the farm like why is that such a special place for you I think the farm growing up on the farm pretty much I think no not pretty much I know shaped my work ethic you had to be creative my summer job I was a relief milker so I didn't really have the luxury well my early years of being able to do my summer job so I'd milk in the morning then I'd somehow have to do some sort of training. I didn't really know what I was doing, so my default was running. So I used to run around the um, farm because we lived on quite a rolling farm. So my love for running hills was probably stemmed from there. I remember my sister and I used to like do chin-ups on the bars um, in the cow shed and yeah, gumboots, aprons on, everything. And, you know, in summer when you're making hay, I can stack a good hay barn, I can tell you that. That's great. Like your strength, but it's cardiovascular as well, spending a, spending a day baling hay. How old were you at the time? I feel like I wouldn't be able to nail down an age. I think um, it was just many hands make light work, to be honest. So you kind of just were given a job that was appropriate for your age. <laughs> but, you know, things like carrying the three-litre milk buckets from the shed to the calves and having to heave it up into the cafeteria... It was all that kind of functional strength that I actually didn't realise I was getting. But when I did come time to actually go into a gym, I was actually really blessed with being able to handle my body weight right from the get-go. Yeah, even though at the time I used to complain, I probably really um, owe it to my parents for um, giving me that head start. Yeah, that's fascinating, actually. So, like, it gave you the, the functional strength, but probably also gave you the body awareness, too, in terms of, hey, this is how I need to move my body to do this stuff 100% yeah you pretty much uh, between my sister and I you just had to find a way really these six calves needed to be fed mum was milking dad was busy you had to get these milk buckets over and get them in the cafeteria so yeah I think um, I don't know whether I'm I'm really into the strategy side of netball Um, I love debriefing games and looking at footage and I don't know whether it was kind of born from like problem solving back in the day but Yeah, you just had to find a way. Yeah. When you got into the gym, how did you stack up against the city girls that uh, may not have had to do all the farm work that you did? (sighs) Did you notice much difference between you and them? I was probably more worried about myself, to be honest. I was, uh, the era that I kind of was baptised with netball was some incredible players in the Waikato. I was playing with the likes of the Amy G. Metcalf, the Jenny May Coffin, Renee Jacobson, Irene Van Dyke. So I think it was myself and Casey, we were kind of given a chance together. I just really wanted to blend in. I didn't want to be an outlier. I wanted to blend in and be able to hold my own. 
So I think in the real early days, and again, I'm probably, I was so lucky with the people that I had around me in terms of they didn't smash me straight off the bat. They really looked after me until I was of a mature age. I remember them saying that I could handle what was expected of me in the gym. So a lot of it was essentially handling your body weight before I was introduced to the Olympic lifts and all the fun stuff in the gym. Mm. And it's pretty much been a philosophy of mine going forward is to be as strong as you are big in terms of that's the foundation when you want to start with before you lay on or start layering on all the skill sets and the you know game specific skills that you need so it's kind of it's building that base and making sure that you've got all the right building blocks in place before you start going big with either lift or with with specific tactics Honestly, I remember I used to do like this. I turn my watch on and I'd run out the gate and I'd be back in 20 minutes. That's what I used to do, like a 20 minute run. We have these massive hills, and even now I still rest on the gates at the top. And Dad would be like tooting the horn and the tractor at me, pretty much telling me to get going. But it's really interesting how once you kind of start feeling comfortable, you subconsciously move the goalpost. So like I'd add on like a little bit. I'd add on like a creek jump or find another hill. Eventually now my farm run extends over two of the neighbouring farms and there's nothing quite like it. It's talk about proprioception in your ankles. I think I must do a good few every time I go running. But yeah, I think my initial training ground and the foundation that I was able to to build and not really knowing what I was doing I think really did set me in a good state for when I presented when I started making some elite teams. And Laura when did uh, people come into the picture for you? It really kind of kicked off and when I hit high school so I went to Hillcrest High in Hamilton my sister was already there um, Jessica was a, a great net, netball player as well she was in the open A and uh, we had an amazing sports coordinator, Miss P. I still call her Miss P to this day, um, Karen Prescott. She kind of, I played in my age group for a year and then she convinced mum to let me trial for the open A side. So I think I was like full form playing with like six and seven formers. So that was quite a like mental and maturity challenge for me at the time, fitting out like how to fit in. I think what was really probably beneficial was the fact that my sister was in there. And yeah, you obviously have that connection, just being family, so that that definitely helped. So that's really when it really kicked off. I wasn't someone who watched the Silver Ferns played and was like, I want to be a Silver Fern. It kind of um, came about so quickly. I was in it before I even realised this is actually quite serious. So it wasn't like fifth form, I think it was. I, I got invited to a couple of magic trainings I, just to be extra extra bodies at training and then I think it might have been that year that I again with the help of Karen Prescott from high school and Jill Coles who used to send me um, these mental toughness or mental resilient articles to read they made me trial for under 21s and I didn't get in that year but man it was really good experience in terms of the physicality which is probably nothing on what it is these days, but it was at the time for someone like myself. And being able to handle yourself around people whose maturity and athletic ability was well beyond my years. How did you wrap your head around that? I mean, first of all, not getting in. Were you hoping to get in? No, I don't think so. I know, I definitely wasn't hoping to get in. I think, again, for me, it was how do I stack up against these ladies and honestly, it was probably, I just had to go out there and play. I wasn't there to overthink it. I probably approached it as, I'm, I'm just another body here. 
get out there and do your thing. And I think that's the beauty of when you see these young players come in. They are not fogged up by the head stuff. Fast forward probably about a decade and a bit. When you start getting older and you've been in teams for longer, yeah, the hardest thing is staying there and not getting caught in a position where you're constantly looking over your shoulder and worrying about other people, like, oh, she's better than me, she's faster than me, she can jump higher than me. And I think sometimes, I reckon, fitness testing days are the best days for that type of stuff. Very seldom will you come across an athlete who, if they're looking over the shoulder at results, will only look at their line. So I always find it really intriguing those days because I think you have to be okay with what you're about and what you've got to be in a mindset where it's yourself against yourself. And this pretty much, I think, I only really have learnt this in the last probably 12 months or so when I uh, came back from my break in 2018. It was a big gamble for me. And I say gamble because I think risk is a little bit more calculated than (laughs) the gamble that I took. I hadn't played any netball and I was pretty much stepping back into the highest team you could go into in New Zealand. So for me, not looking over my shoulder and just... Being okay with the fact that I hadn't played netball in a year. Athletic-wise, I was going to be behind the pace. Skill-wise, I was going to be rusty. But I had to be with okay with that. And I had to be comfortable saying, this is what I've got. How can I use it to help you? Or how can I use it to help the team? And I just needed time on my side. But uh, it's very, very, it's a challenge in itself to not look over your shoulder. It, it's really difficult. Yeah, that's a big challenge for a lot of people, no matter sort of what field that they're in, is that there's that constant comparison with mm. other people. I mean, I'm really interested how you made peace with being okay with that. Like, what were the processes that you went through in terms of training your thinking? Yeah, I think uh, probably jumping back, Going back, in 2012, we were introduced to this sports psych, David Galthbraith, who came to work with our Waikato Bay Plenty Magic Nipple team. And the work that he did really resonated with me. His philosophies essentially talked about this line between courage and fear. Courage in terms of putting yourself out there, not letting the self-doubts, self-talk impact your thoughts and feelings and then actions. And he gave us little activities like daily um, green box things which are really easy like it's not even hard to do green box items that you do on the daily that you're going to set yourself up to having a good day or to achieve what you wanted to achieve that day I really liked it and I still kind of do it today so honestly I'm so much quicker at it now like at the start I had to write down but my green box things like I need to know when I'm fitting my training in and I need to know what type of session it is and probably a little tangent to that is I think having entered the real world or the work world in 2018 it gave me a greater appreciation of quality over quantity and for a hundred percent of my career I've always been about more 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 and it took a few injuries to kind of teach me that but also took me having to juggle netball and work to make you realise, look, I've got 90 minutes, I have to squeeze as much as I can out of this 90 minutes because I don't have another opportunity to get back to the gym or the track. So I'd have to know when my training is and what I'm doing. The flip side of the green box, I know I'm jumping all over the show, is I'll finish with the green box. I need to know what I'm having for lunch. Lunch is the one meal that I'm terrible at. I'll either skip it and then I'm like a carnivore like as soon as I get home. So I need to know what I'm having for lunch and I have to pack my lunch. And I need to do simple things like make my bed. It's like the simple jobs that take two seconds that are the ones that you always brush to the side. So whether it's always make my bed, do I have washing to put on, do I need to do the dishwasher? Something simple like that. 
So those are the three things that I don't compromise on daily that I know is going to set me up to having a good day. Then another list he kind of got us to do was we had to write down what are the things that sabotage your day? So I kind of call this like your Achilles heel because I used to suffer from really bad tendinopathy in my Achilles. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, it's that pain. So the weather was a real biggie for me. The weather, like if I'd set a training session and it had been raining and I wanted to do change direction, I wasn't getting the quality because I couldn't go maximal into the turns. And then also too, like getting out the door when you know you've got to do a long run and it's hailing. It's never fun. So the weather was always at the top of my list for my Arkley's heel. Two was I was really passionate about um, making sure I was still taking steps in a, in a life outside netball because you're just one injury away. Like it could be tomorrow. You just don't know. And I didn't want to be in a situation where something would happen and I'd have nothing. Kind of a risk for me or a pain that I had to, um, was my ability to still be able to have the energy and effort to put into study and or um, part-time work was a real challenge for me. And when I started kind of part-time work, being okay with having to be like, oh, look, I'm sorry, I can't take that on. I've got to leave at 3 p.m. I've got to get to the gym. Like that half jobs is like the biggest hate of mine. So I had to learn how to prioritize really well. And then um, the third thing was not hitting my quality and always wanting to do more because I wasn't getting that quality in. So I kind of just started making this list of Arkley's Heels things. And every now and then I kind of look at that list and I pick the rainiest day and I make myself go for a run. <laughs> uh, it's like this, this, this sick game I play with myself because it's all upstairs really. And it's something that I hate doing. But actually, once you get out there and sink your teeth into it, it's fine. You're just going to get wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's a lot of that, it's the, it's the thought of it that is so much harder than the actual, the physical doing. And the, you can always blame the weather. It's either too horrible, too wet, too windy to go running. Yes. Or it's too nice because those nice days only come around every now and then. And you can't beat Wellington on a good day. So you want exactly. to make the most of it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, or there's always a hill. So I think you you just kind of need to train with that un- that uncomfortable. Definitely. Yeah, I think. And then the other thing David introduced to us was, I try to do it every year, is a personal challenge for yourself. It doesn't always have to be physical, but being a physical beast that I am at nine times out of ten usually is. But uh, whether it be like uh, something on your bucket list that you've never done or uh, like making yourself go try another code or something like that so in in the off season I really like got in with buddies and was like oh how about this and in 2018 I had the best time because I wasn't I kind of had turned into a soldier I think being a netball every day was planned for me I didn't really have to do any of thinking even in the gym I didn't even have to think about warm-up because it was prescribed it was really interesting and I think it's really evident when we get that self-directed time the number of players, myself included, that would come back and be below the mark is because we haven't had to use our brains or we haven't had that like job autonomy, so to speak. When we are given a free license, we're not really sure what to do. So in 2018, I just absolutely loved it. It took me a wee while to get my head around being my own boss, um, being able to decide what I was going to do on the daily, right from like outside work exercise-wise and dinner and I did some amazing events and I this was when I was introduced to CrossFit and wow, I just have a massive, massive respect for the ability, the mental resilience that these athletes have. Like you go to some, I'm nowhere near 
like the Teatumis or anything like that. But the dark holes that you, I go to just at our local CrossFit, you literally just have to find a way to get yourself out of it. Now, when the pressure comes on, you always have those experiences in your back pocket to reflect on. Like uh, you do the Murph and then you're like, well, nothing's ever going to be as bad as the Murph until you find something else that's as bad as the Murph. But you remember I actually got through it and you, you kind of teach yourself how to strategize and get through pressure, get through the uncomfortable times because you stop listening to the voice in your head going, this is hard, I just want to stop. And you start actually switching it to strategy like, how am I going to survive this? Okay, I'm just going to do three press-ups at a time, rest my arms. So yeah, I think CrossFit was a massive one for me in terms of learning how to and stop listening to the little distracting voices. Like, is that a strategy that you utilize in other areas of your life in terms of just breaking it down to the next step that you need to take? Yes, and essentially that's probably just prioritizing. You only have so many hours in a day and you've got to bang down and writing it down is really handy in terms of what has to be done today. Like what can't, you can write the list of what you'd like to get done or what your intention is for the day, but what you can actually get done or what needs to be done When I kind of graduated from study to part-time work and I was trying to uh, be an athlete as well, those little strategy games were massive in in daily life. How do you go with over-committing to things as well? I think that's a kind of a societal problem that we have is like, oh yeah, I can just squeeze a little bit more of that in. It's that that kind of glorification of busy. It's like, oh, I'm not quite busy enough. I'll I'll do this. And I find if if I'm approaching things like that, then I can do some stuff. But I pretty quickly get overwhelmed by actually I haven't hit all the things on my list. Whereas actually if I peg it back and look for those things that are really important as those mm. yeah those ones that I just are non-negotiables or this one big task that I want to get done today and then just leave it at that. I operate at a much better level. Like is that is that a similar way that you've learnt to approach it as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably like my green box things too. One I probably left off with like one day a week, I want to have a no alarm set. And it's probably touching on exactly what you said. And in terms of when you're not busy, you kind of feel guilty because you're not busy. So you find things to do. So like one day, yeah, is a sleeping day and in a like a slothing day, I call it. So you can just sloth if you and not be tempted to, oh, I'm just quickly going to log on or yeah, just absolutely do nothing, which I think is quite important in terms of being able to bounce back. And sometimes having those days, you're actually, you can cope so much better with the unexpected life things that pop up on the daily. And obviously for me, uh, exercise is a big is a big one that also helps in terms of being able to deal with the daily hiccups or uh, the unexpectedness of what life can bring at times. And I think if you're just redlining your busyness and your activity level and trying to fit so much in, that it really leaves you with no extra capacity to actually handle those things that are unexpected that pop up or just do a really rubbish job of handling them. I mean, we've got a a wee boy who's just just over one and he doesn't sleep particularly well. And I know that if there's a, a couple of nights where I don't get a whole lot of sleep, I can, yeah, I can get through the day and I can do standard stuff. But if yes. anything comes up that is out of the norm, then it yes. really, really throws me. And I think like we can wrap ourselves up in it and, and just not have that capacity. So taking those rest days mentally and emotionally as well as physically, like, I think of it as just the same as your physical training is that you need to take a, have a rest day to let your body recover. You need Absolutely. to do the same thing for your mind. 
Absolutely. I think another, when I feel myself kind of getting caught up in all the emails and oh, I've got this on, got this on, got this on, is just worry about today. So don't even think about what you've got on later in the week. Think about, okay, today I've got this, this, this on. And just dealing with today, you'll look at the diary for tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, to like maybe at the end of the day after you've had your cup of tea or you're sitting on the couch. That's been really helpful for me as well. And I think too, just being able to say, look, I would really love to help you out, but I just can't at the moment is something that is not easy to do or say. That is, so my ability to like manage expectations of others definitely has improved the older I've got. But yeah, at the start, I literally was would be putting my hand up for everything and just I wasn't having a sleep in the morning. I wasn't having a slothing day. There was just no time for anything else but nibble in my life and it wasn't a, it wasn't a good time. Mm. What was the tipping point for you? Like you got to that point. When did your mindset shift on that? So when I, I got my first contract when I was still in school, and when you're young, it's just lovely. I just fell into the, oh, yeah, I'll play netball next year. Oh, yeah, I'll play netball next year. And there wasn't a lot of thought that had to go into it because I netball was number one. And it wasn't until I kind of met David in 2012 and he was like, like, who are you? Like, we had the whole who are you chat. And I remember him saying to me that if netball defines you, he was like, I don't want to be your friend. And I remember thinking, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> that's a really valid point. It was probably 2012, uh, and I'm, it sounds dramatic, but the way this little his little philosophies really did change the way I uh, viewed what I would do next. And because your energy is not abundant, like you have to be really specific and strategic about where you put your energy, because otherwise, if you give out too much and don't restore or try um, provide energy to yourself back, you're eventually going to run out or run into the ground. So 2012 was probably a massive changing point for me. And I, I, I feel like kind of as I've gone on from 2012, it's actually really in some respects positively impacted my game. When I go to game day, I feel way more energized than probably prior to 2012 when I was trying to do everything and really trying to maximize uh, quantity over quality. The conversation that I was having with you before we started recording, basically, that's a mm. who are you question that I was wrestling yeah. with. A lot of people go through life and, and don't ask themselves that question because it's quite an uncomfortable question to end up asking yourself. You can go to some dark places trying to figure that out and, and figure out, hey, why is it? Why am I doing these things? Like, what is it that I'm all about? And I think the more you ask that question, though, the more layers you strip back and like I was just I was just having a thought that it's almost like minimalism in mm. terms of when you ask it like you strip another layer of superfluous crap just off yes. the top you're like actually I'm not about that at all yes. I've just kind of yes. fallen into this let's let's shift it off to the side yeah and I think another angle to who are you uh, um, David did a lot of work with us so like what are your values and from 2012 every decision I made was underpinned by my values so I could be like a big one for me is seeking out challenge you know when faced with one of my biggest reasons why I moved from Magic who I was, I was very comfortable I'd been in there since high school I knew the players inside out I loved the region I'm always going to be a chief supporter when I had to tell my parents I was going to Auckland to play it was a really emotional decision I remember I burst into, you know, it was all happy at sign on the dotted line. And then probably the reality um, sank in when this one reporter, I remember we were at our house and I, I was running late to watch my um, now hubby um, play rugby. 
And the reporter goes to me, what do you want to say to your fans, to the magic fans as to why I was leaving or like, you know, thank you. And I just burst into tears. And this was actually a funny tangent. This was the guy's first day on the job and he was like, oh my gosh, like, what have I done? Like, and I was like, it's not you, it's 100% me. But it's amazing how the brain makes decisions, but man, it takes time for the heart to catch up. But it's those type of moments that you know you've made the right one, which is a bit odd to say something like that. But I knew I had definitely ticked the box of seeking a challenge. Not only was I entering a new team, there were well-established players in those teams. I was going to, instead of being a local, I was going to be commuting. So I learned a lot from that year. And those two years up in Mystics, I learned a lot about myself as well. And going back to the type of kid I was, mum and dad never thought I'd probably leave home let alone leave the Waikato, if I probably hadn't made that move to Mystics, I would have never have reached out playing an Aussie team in ANZ. And I can certainly tell you, probably would still be hopefully playing for Magic and I would not be in the glorious sunny coast playing for the sunny coast lightning. So it's amazing living to your values when you figure them out where it will take you i was going to ask how did the conversation with the parents like auckland's bad enough but how did the conversation with the parents <laughs> yeah, yeah, go when yeah. you said i'm gonna go to australia at the time i had finished my degree and i was working i actually had entered the workforce and i was really fortunate i was put in a fantastic team at deloitte and my manager was michael helton and he um, was passionate about sports his kids play water polo and a bit of netball and we were talking at the time and I said to him like oh man I'd love to play for uh, like see how to stack up against an Aussie team and he was just like well why don't you do it and I was like oh you know like no I didn't even really have a reason anyway I thought oh you know what I'm gonna with help from various people I put my feelers out there to everybody I was like look I'm keen to play in Australia in my head I was gonna sign whatever was offered to me straight off and I did and I remember like spitballing with a friend one day saying oh man imagine imagine if it happened and then the Swifts came back and oh my gosh I couldn't believe it and signed on the dotted line and I was going to Sydney and I think for me uh, again those little moments I touched down I think the World Cup for 2015 was in Sydney and it felt good to be there it felt good to be in the environment and I was like yeah I've def- I think I've made a really good decision here uh, again flew over and I did a team building session with the team and straight off the bat I was like well this is going to be different in terms of the intensity of just team building I was like man I'm really going to have to dot my eyes and cross my t's here to put my hand up again it was a really established team with lots of leaders it was the most amazing opportunity for me leadership wise too to be under the guidance of Rob Wright who was our head coach and Kimberly Green who is one of the most fantastic captains I've ever been underneath and again would not have been possible if someone hadn't gone challenged me and gone why why not what's stopping you yeah so you're so thankful (laughs) Mm, I'm not sure of all the ins and outs of it but I know that there were um, some challenges about coming back to play for the Silver Ferns. Yes. Being in Australia, like how did you wrap your head around maybe not being able to come back and play for your country? 
Yeah, that was that was a really tricky time, real tricky time. So in 2016, when I went to the Swifts, I got an exemption for that year, so I did come back and play. And I reflect on this moment so, so often. I was so excited to get back and play in New Zealand. I was so excited after that season. We were fortunate enough to go all the way to the final, and what a game it was. Probably one of my favourite games. Didn't come out on top, but the year we had as a team was amazing. And what I learned was... So massive. So I was so excited to get back into the New Zealand environment, which I felt, looking back, was the stark opposite to how I used to feel getting to the end of ANZ, like those years at Magic and Mystics. You really had to grind the wheel to get it going. So I was really energised. So then the probably the debacle, what you're kind of touching on, was the following year when the ANZ had separated. So I was no longer in the same competition as... New Zealand so it wasn't going to be as easy as just getting an exemption and coming back and playing again when I came to make my decision I honestly was just like well what are my values and it was to seek out challenge particularly the lightning presented a unique opportunity in terms of there was no history there I was going to be a foundation member who was going to have the ability to influence and grow something from nothing and I was like that was scary (laughs) Were we going to be good or were we going to be woeful? No one really knew, but we had the licence to write our own story. So, and probably too, Knowles was probably a pretty big carrot. I can't thank her enough for giving me the career that she's created for me, literally. She picked me out of high school and she had to weather the storm, man. Holy. Um, When I look back on some of those games, I'm like, ugh. Even now, I'm like, kind of cringe to myself, but I new and it probably is kind of one of my philosophies that you you've got to surround yourself with really good people people that inspire you people that challenge you people that know when to give you some tough love but also know how to give you some love back and I knew that just having her the team had the best possible chance of getting out of the starting blocks whether we had an SSC whether we had to train in a cow shed whether we we had nothing I I knew just having her leadership our foundation was going to be solid so, yeah, Lightning was, it was amazing. Yeah, we had a fairy tale year, to be honest. Being a startup club, reaching top four was pretty exciting. There was obviously lots of firsts for the club. Um, our first game together, our first semi-final, our first final. Um, and to come out on top was just absolutely incredible. But it was a bittersweet moment for me, really, because the reason why we play the game is because we want to represent our country. And I wanted to bring back everything I learnt, but I couldn't. I, by making the decision to play for Lightning, I goad my eligibility to play for the Ferns, and that was really hard because I actually felt like I was playing probably some of the best netball I had ever played. Yeah, it was it was really sad, actually, for me to not be able to, that year, test myself against the best in the world. You know, so I had to come to terms with that. And so at the end of 2017, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to sit around and wait for a phone call that was never going to come from Nepal New Zealand in terms of just come and be an extra, like, like just keeping the program, anything like that. So I just started booking up my calendar with a whole lot of personal challenges. And then, honestly, it was not even – Nepal was done in my mind. It was done. I'd done a complete circle. I was fortunate to start with Knowles. I finished with Knowles at Lightning, but again, if you saw any of the <laughs> any of the media, it definitely took a long time for my heart to catch up with my head. It was quite an emotional time, and then here we are. <laughs> 
Yeah, one question that I want to ask you is, um, there are some pretty massive highs in netball and probably none more so than your recent triumph at the World Cup and congratulations for that, by oh, the way. Thanks. It's taken Thank me 40, 45 minutes to, uh, to say congrats <laughs> on that. No, but um, one thing that I'm really interested in with that is, like, how do you say stay grounded after that because you you guys won the world cup but then you had to go back and play for the sunny coast afterwards like how do you get back up for that oh honestly being in the lightning it makes you want to be an athlete forever the people the environment it wasn't hard to come back and play put it that way the world cup moment was massive for new zealand on so many different levels but for me i was just over the moon I don't even have the words to explain how it felt, but for people that had given so much to our game, you know, the Marias, the um, Casey Corpoas, and again, like Knowles, like what she had given and turned around, like the growth in players from when we first assembled that very first camp to the players that entered World Cup, like the growth was just insane. So so it was so much more than a win, I think, for, well, for me. Uh, it was just the development and the growth was just massive. So then kind of getting on a plane and coming back, it wasn't hard. We had a fabulous five back here that I knew were churning the ground over, chomping at the bit. I also knew they would be really high energy and they would do whatever it took to pull us along with them. And that's exactly what they did. I think the fab five, we called them, they did an absolutely stellar job. And I think probably the the two weeks after World Cup, they just led the charge. And I really, that's the beauty, I think, of um, the Lightning environment is the contribution from everybody and the leadership that everybody takes in terms of getting the team, not just the playing team, but the wider Lightning family to where we want to go. Mm, awesome. And so it's really kind of having that, having those awesome people surrounding you with it that makes it easier. because when you have great people around you, there's that trust. So when you have those self-doubt moments or um, those moments when you're like, oh, I'm really not sure, they're the people that know, yep, you're going to play with a bit of pain, but you're going to get through. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you need to know. That's all Mm. I need to know. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you touched on Andrew earlier. He has been a massive person in, in my career in terms of keeping me on court and not letting my silly foot niggle get out of control and I just know when anything comes up you just know you can call on these people and it's so heartening and and it really is they are really the spine of like letting you do what you do. Laura I think that's probably a a really good note to kind of tie things off on I've got a couple of other quick questions for you but I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to have a a conversation with me and making your schedule that a little bit busier Um, (laughs) but also thank you so much as well for being an example to a a lot of Kiwis a lot of Aussies as well about for so many things and congratulations again on awesome recent achievement first quick question for you is if people want to kind of connect with you if they want to want to follow along is there anywhere good that they could do that do you hang out anywhere on social media or <laughs> I'm on Instagram. I'm not very active, but I'm. I think I'm Laws underscore Langman, and I'm on Facebook as well. So yeah, feel free to um, message. But yeah, go for it. Cool, cool. And Laura, final question for you: Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Oh gosh, a challenge. Yeah, I probably 
One of the things that I really do live by is I pick a personal challenge every year. It can be as, as far away or as close away. So for me this year, I've entered into the Noosa Triathlon um, on the sunny coast where there are actually sharks in the water. And it's unknown. There's probably snakes on the ground too. There's a bit of a fear challenge there too. But pick a personal challenge. Mine is the Noosa Tri this year. So um, I look forward to hearing what yours is. <laughs> awesome. Laura Langman, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Lovely, thanks so much for having me. There you have it team, I really hope you enjoyed that one as much as I enjoyed making it. Laura's such a down-to-earth person, it was so good to chat with her for about an hour there. And really, really interesting to talk about mindset and all the stuff that she does and how self-awareness is such a massive part of that for her and, and being driven by her values and what makes her happy as well. And I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff that we can learn from that regard. A couple of quick thanks. Thank you, AJ, for setting up this chat. It was awesome, buddy. Much, much appreciation there. Thank you to Jailan. I hope you're on the mend, mate. And thank you for your awesome editing skills. Thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you, as always, for you guys for tuning in, spending some time with us, and getting uncomfortable with us this week.